Oh, guys, that one was perfect. That one was perfect just because we didn't try. We went right into it. And just like because we're adults this episode, we're just going to move forward and we're not going to try again. Oh, yeah. Guys, we are so incredibly bummed for this week's episode. It's a special one. We a special the- one. <laughs> we had the incredible opportunity to interview Lauren Thoman. No, it was um, great. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, we're super excited. Um, and she is the author of I'll Stop the World, which is... Which is Mindy's book studio second release. Yeah, so super special, super excited. She has a lot of really great character development, and you're going to hear all about it in this interview. And it's super special because we had a chance to read the book before it even came out. Yes, no, I felt so fancy. I was like, oh, look at us. Yes, and it was... Previewing books. I know, Um, which it's a great read. And you actually now have the opportunity to read it too if you are an Amazon Prime member on um, Amazon Prime, and it came out today um, digitally, where you can actually tune in. Yeah, uh, did she um, for the ebook? Are there like individual voices, right? I think there will be, but it's going to be for the. Um, I don't know if it comes out yet. Mm. I don't know if that's okay. for the actual launch date. Okay, we'll figure that out for you guys. Uh, <laughs> But, guys, super exciting is that the actual official date is April 1st, and that is where you can get a physical copy. But don't worry, you can still pre-order the physical copy now if you check out Lauren Thoman's website. It gives you all the deets. Check out her Instagram. Learn all the cool things that you can potentially get. Yes, no, I have my hard copy coming. Oh, my goodness, guys. It's going to be great. So make sure you tune in now to hear our awesome interview with Lauren Thoman. Thank you so much again for joining us. Welcome to Mindy the Podcast. We're super excited to have you. Yeah, we are thrilled. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes. um, And we actually, um, we heard that you're from Philly. I am. Well, outside of Philly. Suburb of Philly. Yes. Okay. Oh, we're outside of Philly. Westchester. Oh, Westchester. Okay, okay. So about 30 minutes outside. We're Philly-based. That's why we were like, oh my God. (laughs) That's so exciting. Yes, yes. So, yes. Been, been like, very Philly adjacent for the first half of my life. <laughs> yeah, I figured we all take a moment of silence for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Super Bowl loss. Yeah, yeah. My I, I am not a big um, football person, but my parents were, like, in mourning yeah. <laughs> afterward. We were like, yeah. oh, maybe we should check on them and make sure they're okay. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I saw that uh, you foster dogs. I also foster dogs. I wanted to know, uh, do you have any Mm -hmm. foster sales? Um... Um, Well, we are first, we don't have any foster fails. Um, However, our very first foster experience lasted almost two years. Um, (laughs) It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be three to four weeks. It was these, this mother and a daughter pair um, of former strays, but they had so many issues that we wound up keeping them for 20 months um, Mm. before they, so it was like not a foster fail, but we had them for a very long time (laughs) um, before um, they were able to move on. And um, since then, and now we've, we, we keep getting like slightly complicated fosters. um, So we love them so much. And we're also 
fine when they find their their home <laughs> because you know it's just a lot of a lot of work for some of those oh, puppies. Definitely. Oh no, I definitely understand. We had a couple of fosters that required uh, heartworm shots, and that was like a whole process mm-hmm. of bringing them back. So I definitely understand. But we like to oh, shout yeah. out a couple of um, charities and uh, double uh, uh, nonprofit. So can we shout out your uh, foster? Yeah, I foster for Snooty Giggles uh, here in Middle Tennessee. Um, And I know they partner with a few other rescues, I think, in the Northeast. So I can't remember their names off the top of my head. But yes, Snooty Snooty Giggles. We actually are are one of our two dogs we had also adopted from Snooty. But that wasn't a foster fail. We we intended to adopt her. (laughs) And she might jump up behind me in my chair at some point during this totally understandable i have a cat so i know like he they like to kind of wander through too <laughs> um so we kind of want to jump yeah, right she in. thinks she's very important to my writing process <laughs> of course or like they like to sit on your books when you're reading kind of distract you <laughs> yeah yeah of course <laughs> um but we want to jump right into this amazing book um i just want to start by reading a little part of mindy's forward in which she talks about how Justin Warren, a lost kid whose life dealt a crappy hand, and Rosian, a perfectionist who feels like an outsider in her own life. I related so much to that Rose character idea because I'm very much a perfectionist. (laughs) And I was Mm -hmm. like, ooh, I love this. And I it was just so fun (laughs) to kind of get to learn more about her. (laughs) Um Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, Rose is a lot of me. She's me in high school. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to point out how she describes your book. So this genre bending book is much more than just a mystery. It had me thinking about fate, nature of existence, the power of forgiveness and second chances. I gasped at the twist and reveals. I had to turn back the pages and reread to look for all the hints along the way at Mindy's book studio. I'm all about publishing books that are fun and entertaining. And this one will blow you away. I mean, what an introduction. <laughs> I know, right? Like, no pressure. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that perfectly encompasses this book. We, I had to keep looking back. I was like, oh, my God. And I kept trying to make predictions along the way. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and then can I say that 90% of the book I felt like was at the end? I was like, <gasps> All the twists and turns. Because you kept thinking you had it, and you had it. And then it was like, just kidding. I did not have it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was trying I was trying to I was like, okay, what do what would I think is going to happen based on what I've done so far? Because I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it was it was very much trying to like stay ahead of you, but you are just ahead of us every step of the way. <laughs> so I got to say, yeah, uh, what was the quote unquote I guess call like getting from Mindy that you were going to be a part of her uh, book studio? Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't a call with Mindy. It was a call with my agent and, um, it, I had known that we were submitting the book to Mindy's book studio and it was kind of a wild card because at the time no acquisitions had been announced. So my agent, she was like, I think I'm going to send it to Mindy Kaling's new imprint. I don't really know what they're looking for. She's like, I have this very broad sense, but like, since we don't have any titles announced, like it could really be anything. And um, she said, but she's like, but I do know the editor that I'd be sending it to and I know her taste. So, and I think it would be a fit for her. And so I was like, okay, sure, whatever. So I kind of like, it was just sort of out of sight, out of mind. It was just, she was just one on a list of like all these publishers that got it. And so then when she called and she was, she said, um, 
Mindy's book studio wants the book, like that was shocking to me in and of itself because I told her, I was like, I think I'm mentally prepared for every scenario in which this book doesn't sell. It didn't actually occur to me that anyone would say yes. Sure. Um, Cause that, that was just my experience. Like this is not the first book I've tried to sell. And mm-hmm. typically the experience is, Oh, this is so great, but no. Um, and yeah. so I was very prepared for any version of that. So I, I was, I was a bit shocked. Um, I, I went speechless for a minute and my agent had to make sure I hadn't dropped off the call. She was like, are you still there or did you just forget words? And I was like, I can't words. And she was like, all right, well, I'll make words until you remember how to do that. And then you can just jump in whenever. Um, but, and then I also had another moment when she was like, and so when Mindy read it, she thought, and I was like, hold on, she read it. She's like, well, it's her book studio. Like, of course she read it. And I was like, huh, for some reason, it did not occur to me that she would actually read it. Like, uh, uh, you know, I was just like, I don't know. It was just like, it's her name on it. So it makes sense. But in my brain, I was like, oh, she wouldn't read it herself. Like she has people for that. Um, And she was like, no, no, she reads all (laughs) books. And so um, that was another moment where I forgot how to words for a little (laughs) bit, which, normally I talk a lot. And at that point, I just like stopped talking entirely. And so she was like, you have questions? I was like, I, I did not prepare for the idea that a Mindy Kaling was going to read my book and second of all, want to buy it. So no, I have nothing prepared. Just tell me the answers to the questions I should be asking. Um, so it, t- it was, it was weird. It was a weird experience. Sure. It took a little while to sink in. I'm still not entirely sure it sunk in. Like it comes yeah. out in like a month, but and I have like copies of it on my shelf, and I'm still just like, mm, is this real or is this yeah. fake? I think it's fake. Oh my goodness! No, I can imagine. I mean, I it, I loved reading the office reference in the book too. Yeah. I was like, oh, this had to be mm-hmm. so weird. Like when that came full circle a little bit, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I was like, oh man, I put an office joke in here. I just yeah. like, not didn't put it in there for her. I just like, it was, it was a reference. And I was like, Oh, dang. She like, for all I know, she could have written that joke. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I do have to ask because we saw that you have a playlist for the book. (laughs) Did, was there inspiration for the title of the book from the playlist? Well, yes and no. I am not an author that really builds a playlist before I've written any, a, a book. And so I don't, I don't write to music. I, I get distracted by music because I, I was a music major. And so I wind up focusing too much on the music um, to be able to pull back and write. So I write in silence. And so I built the playlist after. Um, I mean, obviously, the title is taken from I Melt With You by Modern English. Okay. Um, but that came very late in the process when I was trying to like, I'm terrible at titles. And so I had written almost the entire book and I knew I was going to have to send it to my agent soon. And I was like, I have to title this book something. I can't just keep calling it the time travel book. Like that's not helpful. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, I actually um, was on Twitter and I saw a tweet from um, Eric Smith, who's an author and an agent who has, who was talking about how he had just retitled one of his books and who, to, you can go your own way. And he was like to song lyrics. And I was like, Oh, song lyrics, but like that might be good. So I was like, what would have been on the radio in 1985? So I just started looking at like 
playlist of not necessarily songs that released, but like what was still playing on the radio that would have come on within the last couple of years before then. And I just started looking down these lists of songs and being like, do any of these fit the theme of my book? And then when I got to I Melt With You, I was like, oh, I think that one might. So I looked up the lyrics and I was like, yes, actually this whole song fits my book <laughs> yes. really, really well. So, um, so it was actually, it was, it was very serendipitous. It was late in the game that I found that one. And then all the other ones were just like, whenever I wanted to have music in a scene, because I think music sets a scene so well. And especially like with the eighties, like that music is so like, um, grounded in that like time period, you know, that anytime I could reference like just a song playing in the background or something a character is listening to. And even like, even the way they listen to like, you know, you have a cassette and you listen to it the whole way through instead of like, or it's just whatever happens to come on the radio. Um, I had fun kind of sprinkling those in. So the playlist is really um, all the songs that I had sprinkled in anyway. And I just kind of pulled them all together and it was like, here's the playlist for the book. I have to tell you, I was when I was finishing the book and then I all of a sudden I like thought to myself, I'm like, oh, my God, this title really is perfect because I came to me as like, oh, this song was from the 80s. And I was like, oh, my God. And that's kind of I'm not going to give anything away, but like it just it, mm -hmm. that it made it just felt perfect for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because after I titled it, I was like, I should probably put this song in the book because at the time the song wasn't actually in it but like all the other ones were but that one I was just like no just thematically appropriate and so I wrote a whole scene where they're talking about the song and what it means and how it can mean like two things depending on your point of view yeah. and um because I was like that's like the crux of the whole thing and I sent it to my editor I was like what if I put this in the book and she was like I don't know if we need it and I was just <laughs> that's <laughs> the point where I'm just like Okay, I'm putting it in the book. Yeah. And I was like, no, I've decided. It's going in. And so I was like, they can, if, if they really want to fight me to take it out, they can take it out, but I'm putting it in. And then they have to make me take it yeah. out. So, um, but that, and I felt like, and then, you know, I, I call back to that, like, without, like, I call back to that scene at the end. And I was like, no, I feel like it really, like, ties it together, like, finding this song. But, um, yeah, the song actually came very, very close to the end of the whole process. Oh, uh, but I know you said you were a music uh, music major, uh, but after exploring so many various uh, fields, what made you start wanting to write this book? Um, so I I was always a reader. Um, I've I've always loved, and I was always like an avid TV movie watcher. Like I love stories. I've always loved them, and I loved to analyze them. Um, and you know, I I. Writing always came fairly naturally to me, like in school, like I could write my papers in English and, you know, do creative writing exercises. And my teachers were like, oh, you're a good writer. And I was like, great. So I will do well in this class. Like it never really occurred to me that that would be anything more than that. Um, and but I tried being a band director for a hot minute. That did not stick. Um, and so I just kind of bounced around for a while until I, it was actually, I, my, I had, my youngest kid was in preschool and both of my kids are now in high school. That tells me. <laughs> um, and I was thinking, I had just finished reading the hunger games and I really, really loved the hunger games. And I was like, I want to read something else that makes me feel the same way. And then I, the next few books I picked up didn't. And I got really frustrated with them and I was like, how hard can it be? And so, which is a, 
incredibly dumb thing to think, but that's where my brain was. I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to write a book that, you know, I'm just going to write a book that's as good as the Hunger Games. Um, And uh, spoiler, I did not do that. Um, But that's kind of, I, so I got this sort of writing bug um, about 10 years ago. And then it took a little bit of doing um, to get to the point where I actually was like any good at it and had like got my agent and, um, and we kept trying to like, I kept writing things that weren't selling. And so um, back in 2014 actually is the very oldest um, file I have saved on my computer for I'll Stop the World, which at the time oh, I was just wow. calling um, the time travel book. And, and it was very different in that stage. And it was never the main thing I was working on. It was like my, my side project while all the other main things I was working on weren't going anywhere. And so I would just kind of dabble on it in the in the margins because I love time travel. It's I feel like it's such um, it's just got so ripe with possibility, um, you know, because it can be it can be anything. You could do a time travel action story or a time travel romance or a time travel drama or, you know, it can it can really be anything. And so I was like, well, what do I love about time travel? And what would I want to put into if I were to do my own time travel story? So, um, you know, I love Back to the Future. and But I was thinking a lot about it. I was like, man, he really does know exactly, like, he's really lucky that he has this, like, best friend um, mad scientist that can tell him absolutely everything he needs to do, Yeah, you know, in order to achieve his goal. Like, what would he do if he just found himself there and didn't have a doc or a DeLorean like he didn't have a goal he was just like I'm just here what do I do and so that was like the earliest thought was like what what happens if it's back to the future but there's no doc and then after having like Justin just wander around in random time periods for all I was like okay I do actually need something for him to do like he has to figure (laughs) something out he can't just be like like for so long I was like what if he's just he was at one point he was living in a library at one point he was just um he was like committed to a hospital at one point he was drafted into the vietnam war like so many things (laughs) happened to this cat guy while i was trying to figure out what he's doing um and then eventually i was like oh he goes to the 80s like that's that's what makes sense and like and here's what he's doing when he's there um so it was you know it was a process (laughs) oh i can imagine i mean it's already tough to write a story and trying to like flesh out characters, but then having to have the knowledge of the eighties and of current times, trying to meld the two and create this story mm-hmm. that has this common thread to bring them together. I mean, you didn't write the hunger games, but you wrote an incredible book. So it's very good. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> it's like, I would love it. And I'm not even like my genre. I love like autobiographies. So this was like different for me mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it because it helps you think of things in a different way and look at like just different journeys because I'm also like as you said love reading people's stories and learning mm-hmm. how they came to be and the decisions we make why do we make the decisions we make and how does yeah. that kind of affect everything and that I feel like is such mm-hmm. a theme in your book is all of these yeah. kind of like a butterfly effect in some regards yeah yeah I mean I love I love thinking through sort of the existential yeah. like questions of like why are we here? What is our purpose? You know? And like, if we just suddenly like the universe kind of intervened and was like, now you're here. 
I would be like, well, that would definitely send you into existential crisis mode. Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Like, you have those questions anyway, and or at least I do. And so, and I feel like this just like magnifies them that much more of like, well, surely there's there's a reason unless there's not like, <laughs> wow, that really is a question that I really have to wrestle with right now because it affects everything I do. Yeah, definitely. Another theme that is crucial throughout the book is that the parents taking out their failures on their children and wanting them to either have their life or have the exact same life of them as them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the idea is this like good or bad or, you know, just because I guess we want what's best for our children and what we perceive as what's best. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's I'm a parent, obviously. And so there's a lot of my own like kind of um thoughts and struggles and questions in there of, and I really wanted to kind of to show the different, like that no parent's going to get any, everything a hundred percent right. And so you've got a couple parents of teenagers, you've got parents of very, a very young child and all of them are like, all of them are really um, focused on this idea of, am I doing it right? But there's a healthy way to approach it in an unhealthy way. And I, I tried to include both to show like, there's one that's trying and not necessarily getting it all right, but like really trying to listen and learn and do better. And then there's another one that's just very, very rigid in like, no, I have an idea of what is best for you. And if you try to venture out of that idea, like that's wrong and not really like, and, and that's making it much more about the parent than about the kid. And so, um, you know, a question that I always, um, like, wrestle with as a parent is, like, if I'm doing it wrong, by the time I figure out I'm doing it wrong, will it be too late? Will I've already, like, screwed something up? And, um, you know, and, like, this is a question that I bring up, and that my, we bring up in therapy sometimes, because highly recommend therapy. Therapy's great. Um, and my therapist is always like, I think people that are super like aware of like, if I'm doing something wrong, will I have time to course correct are not going to be super averse to course correcting. Yes. Like, so I don't know that you've got to worry so much about that. Um, so I was like, okay. Uh, but also I'm still going to worry about that. Um, yeah. so I just, I, I, you know, from the perspective of like, you're not done parenting and until like you're done <laughs> just in general. Um, once you, once you are a parent, you're just a parent. And so, um, I, 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 I didn't want to write a book that gave a lot of answers, but I wanted to write a yeah. book that wrestled with a lot of the questions that I find interesting and relevant. Like even if in this like fantastical time travel premise of like, well, these are the questions that I wrestle with and here are a bunch of different ways I've seen people approach it and, you know, and taken to kind of an extreme in, um, in one case in particular of like, and here's how I think it can be really damaging, but also here's the ways that like, maybe you can try to do the right thing and still not entirely be doing the right thing. Um, but like, and then what do you do with that? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, most of my main characters are teenagers, but I definitely, um, put a lot of, thought into the parents as well oh definitely and I I think that there are instances where some of the parents 
are reflections um, or like the children mm-hmm. are reflections of the parents and that annoys some of the parents because it's like you don't want them to be exactly like you or like there's parts mm-hmm. of them that like remind you of you in the way you don't want to be reminded. And I thought that was a mm-hmm. really interesting facet because mm-hmm. it's I think it's such a hard thing for some it, depending on the parent. Like it could be really struggleful and bring up maybe past traumas or triggers or things like that. Or if it reminds you of the mm-hmm. other parent, you're not with them anymore, like all of these different things that I found to be really fascinating kind of looking at it from the parent's perspective as well. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's the whole like hurt people, hurt people. So Mm. like you can both have trauma in your past and also be inflicting trauma. And so, and I mean, I think with the parents in particular, I don't, I don't tend to get really heavily into like, what is their backstory other than, you know, you get little snippets but it's like okay you've got some stuff you have not processed in a healthy way and like that was not good for you but also you're not you're you're now inflicting trauma upon the next generation um and like that no one is all one thing but i also think it's interesting how um like it's it's a very common like refrain right with teenagers especially and you know, as you enter adulthood is like, I'm trying to do, I'm like, I don't want to be my parent. I want to be the opposite thing of my parent. I'm going to be. And, but because that's such a strong influence on you, you know, during your most formative years, who your parent is that sometimes we pick up those aspects that we're most trying to get away from. And so um, I, I wanted to show how, you know, you, you can have these like conscious, um, like aspirations of, I want to be this type of person and I don't want to be this type of person. But like, if that's the type of person that's really imprinted on you the most, there's just a whole lot of like subconscious um, kind of mirroring that is likely to happen that you have to really work hard to like distance yourself from because it's going to naturally be there. Definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, what is one of the quotes we we're talking about, about like having that manual book for life? Yes, I loved that one part where you where they talk about how um, they're like, I feel like there's a manual for life. And I just missed that day. I was absent that day from school when they mm-hmm. were talking about this. And I was like, that's <laughs> it feels like that when you're like a young adult and you're like, I feel like mm-hmm. I should be knowing what I'm supposed to be doing or I, all these different things or everyone else seems to have it under control. Why don't I have it the way that everyone else does? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so much of a generational thing, but also like, I feel like you can go through that in any part of your life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that's especially true. And I don't, and I think it's actually getting better now, but um, like, I think that's a line that Justin says and Justin, you know, is like severely ADHD and spends and pretty much spends the entire book unmedicated. Um, And um, you know, I have, we have, ADHD sprinkled generously throughout my family. Um, And so, and I remember thinking, like being in an early meeting with the um, teachers at one of my kids' schools um, and the principal saying um, something along the lines of the way that we do school is designed to work for about 80% of the students. But there's 20% that the typical way we do school it's not going to work for them because their their brains are wired differently. And so on those occasions, we have to, you know, figure out what's going to work for you because the way we do it isn't designed for you. And 
So that idea of like most people get this and I don't get it, like this isn't for me. And um, like Justin is very, you know, neuroatypical and, you know, neurospicy is a term that I heard someone use. And um, I like that. Um, And (laughs) I think I heard someone said that on TikTok and I was like, oh, neurospicy, I like that. Um, Justin is very (laughs) neurospicy. And so the idea was like, he's looking around and he's like, everyone gets it and I don't get it. And this isn't for me. I am this other thing. And like, is there anything for me? I don't know. And I think that's very, um, <clears throat> very true of neurodivergent um, teens is feeling like, why does everyone get this? And I don't get it. And well, is it because there's something wrong with me or like, what's going on? I felt that too with Lisa's character because she was, while it's not based on her neurodiversity, it's more so based on like just her personal journey and finding out who she is and things like that. And I felt Mm -hmm. she was also kind of trying to figure all of that out and what's the best way to do it and how Mm -hmm. to tell people. And I I felt that a lot with her journey too. Yeah. And Lisa, I think does a lot more because yeah, she's not neurodivergent, but she does have this like identity that she's, afraid and especially because you know she's in 1985 and so that she's afraid to let anyone know about and she you know it's she's got a lot of intersectional marginalization and so I think she's trying to work through you know she's very good at masking and being the person that she thinks everyone expects her to be and you know and I think she puts it on herself that she thinks wants her to be and I think that's everyone has an idea of like, I think this is what my parents want from me, even though I don't know that her parents actually ever said that to her. Yeah. Um, it's just this impression she's gotten is, well, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is, and if I v- deviate from that, I've done something wrong. And, um, and yeah, and I think a lot of people deal with that too, of these expectations that either are explicitly put on them. Like Sean has a- expectations explicitly given in like, here is who you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and if you don't do that, you're wrong. But Lisa's, I think, is much more of a self-imposed, like, well, here's who my mom is. Here's who we are in this town. Here's how I fit into the world. And so yeah. here's how I'm supposed to be. Um, and, like, her journey is figuring out, like, are you supposed to be someone you're not? <laughs> like, I don't know that you're supposed to be someone that's not actually true to who you are. Um and her like trying to come to terms with that. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of, um, and also with Lisa, I wanted to contrast her to Rose cause Rose always feels like Lisa's the one who has it all together. And yes. that she's, and that Rose is the one who like, doesn't know. She's like, Lisa's got main character energy and I've got sidekick energy. And like, <laughs> that's just how it is. Like I have this sister who's also my best friend, who's just going to be forever better than me at life. Yeah. And to kind of, show that like even the people you think have it all figured out do not have it all figured out oh yeah I also thought it was interesting too with um Lisa because she points out that she thinks like Sean has this ability to very much mask who he is very quickly but doesn't acknowledge I feel like that she also is can easily Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I thought that was a very interesting kind of oh wait like you could do the same thing (laughs) Yeah. And I think it like, you know, I think as teenagers, a lot of, a lot of us tried to like kind of mask to fit in like this box that we thought was acceptable and ev- everyone looks like they're doing a better job. Yeah. And so, um, and I think with the two of them also, there's, there's this thing 
that where I think we're kind of drawn to people who get us in certain ways. And I think they do kind of get each other in that way, even though they don't like consciously recognize it. Like, yeah. oh, we're both like really trying to project an image that is different than what we actually feel inside. Um, but we're working so hard at it. We care so much about that. Um, and I think they, they kind of respect that energy in each other, even if they um, aren't compatible in the way they kind of wish they were. Yeah, when we spoke with uh, Sonali, uh, we talked about this idea of fighting for the future. And I guess it becomes with the same topic in the debate of uh, voting, making a difference in fighting for injustice mm -hmm. and the idea of fate. Mm -hmm. Well, and this idea that yeah. you see the future that you're um, fighting for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I tried to like, you know, it's such a delicate line because I didn't want to ever imply like, well, nothing gets better. But nor did yeah. I want to imply like, <laughs> well everything everything works out you know this is all for the best like i and i so i there's that's kind of what mrs hanley's character is there for is like she's got this like lot her whole life has been spent fighting for like social justice and civil rights and she can tell like she's even the whole situation that she's in with dealing with her insurance company she's up against all this red tape and you know, and she's not living in the dark about it. Like she knows exactly why what's happening to her is happening to her. Yeah. Um, and she can see it very clearly, but at the same time, she's lived long enough that she's like, you know, I'm just kind of picking my battles um, and I'm doing what I can. And Justin's coming from this time where he can see, um, you know, he's like, well, some things have gotten better, but wow, some things really haven't. And like, yeah. How do I how do I navigate that and kind of being aware of his own privilege that he previously was unaware of is seeing just how much is this and how it's affecting these people he now cares about where in you know when he was in his time he could just kind of be ignorant of it and be like well that doesn't affect me like I'm sure it's fine it'll work out um, and so I wanted to kind of walk this line between like it does matter and like you can you never know how an individual is going to change things. So like it, it's worth it to keep trying. Um, but at the same time, like it's also never done. Like there's always more to do. Um, Cause I feel like it can be very tiring um, to think of like, oh, it's never ending. So it's like, how do you show <laughs> the idea of progress without resolution? Yes. Um, and I don't want to give away the ending. But I do want to talk about part of the theme of this book in which there is this idea. It's very big. Is there fate? Is like, is there this idea of divine intervention? Mm -hmm. Is Does everything happen for a reason? And, um, you know, I, I thought it was like every time when I was reading this book, I'm like, if you can go back in time and change mistakes, if you go back in time and change something, like, do we do it? Like, should we do it? Because everything we do will mm -hmm. then affect the future self, right? Like, so, you know, if he does go back and save mm -hmm the parent like is that going to be a good thing is that going to be a bad thing like I just kept thinking to myself like there's so many consequences that we just don't know um and I just loved this mm -hmm. idea. well there's this episode of Doctor Who called the fires of Pompeii where um <laughs> the doctor goes back to you know right before Pompeii is buried under lava and um and 
has this whole conversation about like, can we save the whole city? And he's like, well, no, because the ramifications of saving an entire city that was supposed to be buried under lava is like too gigantic for like the universe. But maybe we can make a small change for the better. Like, and so, and that's a, that was a really interesting idea to me. And like, cause I mean, all time travel is theoretical, right? But the idea of like, maybe a, a certain thing like has to happen because, but like, but does that mean you have to be okay with it? Does that mean you still can't work to do something? And so that was sort of in the back of my mind is like, what, what pieces are changeable? What pieces are movable? Like, um, where can you, where can you knock the block out of the Jenga tower without setting the whole thing crashing down? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was just very fascinated the entire time. I'm like, Ooh. And then when you had all the twists and turns at the end, I'm like, okay, like this makes sense. And that, and it changed the whole perspective of the book for me at the end. Cause I, cause again, mm -hmm. I don't want to give anything away, but I was like, Oh, okay. Like there were other themes and elements in this book that made a lot of sense to, as to where they're supposed to end up. And I really, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have like whole novels for each character written out in my head that didn't make it in of like, well, and here's what happened to them in the, like, yeah. you know, in all the parts you don't see, Yeah, you know, especially covering like time periods we know I, we don't talk to talk about. And so like, yeah, one day after the, you know, the book is out and <laughs> I don't worry as much about spoilers. I have a yeah. whole, I have a whole universe like yeah. in my head. No, definitely. Uh, I guess just uh, switching up gears a little bit. I read your uh, Vulture article, uh, who gets beat, who gets beat up more, uh, Hobbes and Shaw. <laughs> I, I thought it was an amazing article. Also, who, who, who did all the numbers for that? So it was ridiculous. My <laughs> my editor, my editor at Vulture emailed me and she was like, I have this idea for an article. Are you up for going to see this movie again and counting how many times they each get hit? And I was like, okay, sure. So I was like, I took my husband and I was like, you take Shaw, I'll take Hobbs. And we each had a notebook and we were making, we had a code one like because you know it's in the movie theater so it's dark so we can't see so it was like a circle meant like a punch to the face like a slash meant like they landed a punch like there was another mark for like body blows like we had each a category for each of them but those fights go so fast and we're in the movie theater so we're each like making these mad tally marks in this code and then we came home and like opened up these notebooks and it's just like chaos on a page like yes. it just looks like someone just like threw pens at a page and oh um and so i'm trying to count them up in each of our different notebooks to, to come up with these final tallies um yeah i don't i don't recommend that approach to movie yes. watching fortunately we had i already seen the movie once so i like knew where the fights were going to be but even yeah. then like there's like little like things here and there where and, you know, and sometimes it was, you know, my husband and Lena, he's like, does that count as a, as a punch? Does that count yes. as a kick? Like, what is that? What does it, what does it mean if you like throw a table at someone? What is that? Where do I yes. tell you that? You know? Um, so yeah, sometimes being a pop culture writer, you get really weird assignments. And that was one of them. Well, I think like you got the ultimate goal from it. You got a Twitter reply from The Rock. Yes, that, that has actually happened three times and i'm like oh I my don't, gosh <laughs> i don't know 
if it's like he's probably got a social media manager he's probably not <laughs> actually reading these articles but i don't care i'm like he replied once i wrote an article casting him as various uh, literary characters um wow. and he liked that he thought he could make a rad hephaestus um and um uh, I wrote another one that was speculating about the end of Hobbes and Shaw that he also replied to um, about my theories. And so that was all another Vulture article. And so, yeah, I was like, wow, some either like the Rock's publicist is apparently like jiving with my articles and yeah. Yeah, telling him to tweet about them or, or just doing a really good job impersonating. Him. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to think it's him. I like to think that he's actually yeah. read three of my articles. Definitely. <laughs> Um, so of course we're part of Mindy, the podcast. So we got to ask you, mm -hmm. what is your favorite Mindy project? Mm, um, let's see. I mean, I, I loved the office for the first few seasons, but I did kind of fall off of it eventually. I think honestly, it's probably the sex lives of college girls. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really loving that show. I also really enjoy Never Have I Ever, but I, yeah. in a different way. But I think College Girls is just like hitting me on that level where I love ensemble casts and yeah. like storytelling that's all following a bunch of different threads at the same time. And that show is delivering that for me. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Mindy Project. Like I've enjoyed yeah. so much of her stuff. Um, but you know, and I've read, I've read not all of her books, but I've read, um, is everybody hanging out without me? Yeah. And, um, what's the other one that came out very close to it? Um, why anyway, not me? Why not me? I've read that one too. And I enjoyed both. Those. So I'm like, I enjoy all of her stuff, but I think right now for me, sex lives of college girls is the one that's firing on the most cylinders for me. Well, I have to ask, just because Sonali described herself as half Kimberly, half uh, Whitney. So where would you describe oh yourself? <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. Am I any of them? Um, yeah, I mean, I see a lot of myself in Kimberly. I'm, pr I'm probably, I have like a dash of Whitney. And I also have like, I mean, in a, in a way, I'm kind of all of them, probably least Bella. But I mean, I do get Bella's like want, like drive to be seen as like a funny writer. <laughs> that, and so I'm like, I, I maybe that's why we're, I'm like, oh, a little bit of all of them, a little bit of all of them, but probably the most Kimberly, because Kimberly is so awkward. And <laughs> I feel that on like a personal level. It's so funny that I feel like a lot of people really relate to Kimberly and I like didn't understand that at first but it's it's so funny that I feel like I'm learning a lot about people like they really do relate to Kimberly's character a lot. I love Layton. Mm -hmm. Like I do love Layton. I'm probably the least Layton cuz she's just yeah. so self-confident and so oh, sure all the time and I do not know what that is like. Um yeah. but she also cares very deeply about the things she cares about. Yes. And and I can relate to that. So, Aww. yeah, I'm like, I, I think a little, I think a little bit of all of them. They're, all of them have like very lovable parts for me. And also all of them have like big things they need to work on. And I love that in a character. I love looking at them and being like, oh, you have a journey ahead of you to be the person you actually want to be because man, are you making some mistakes right now? Um, 
I like when characters have a lot of room for growth. I do too. And I will say, I think one of Mindy's superpowers is character development. I've said this like a bunch. Like I just Mm -hmm. think she does a really great job with that. And I, I feel like between like reading both yours and Sonali's book, I think that is such a driving force in all of your characters is this idea of character development and having redeemable qualities and seeing people even like in their most vulnerable states. And yes, they might not always be the greatest characters at every time, but it's because they have room for growth in this journey. And I think that you do a Mm -hmm. wonderful job in your book about having, I mean, you have a lot of characters and being able to develop Mm -hmm. them all and be different is super amazing and talented. Well, thank you. And yeah, I do think that Mindy is like kind of unafraid to send her characters down like the very wrong path. Um, And I feel like that's a thing with like a lot of her stuff is she's, she's never afraid to make her like main characters that you're supposed to love do extremely the wrong thing where you're just like, even in the moment, you're like, don't do it, don't do it. And then they're like, I'm going to do it. And you're like, ugh. and I feel like a lot of bravery to kind of be like, I'm going to send them there and then like, we'll see if I can bring them back. Like, I mean, you know, no spoilers, but I feel like the um, season two ending of sex lives for college girls has a character doing that where I was just like, dude, I can't believe you just did that. Yeah, definitely. Literally every single character is like, do not do that. That is a horrible decision. And every viewer, I don't know anyone that's like, yeah, I was cheering for that to happen. Like, no, 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 that's a horrible idea. And then, and then she's like, and that's how I'm ending the season. Yes. And so, I'm like, man, that's bold. That's a bold move right there. Like, we'll see if she can pull it back. I hope so. I hope so. Me too. I know. We were all feeling for her, especially in those last moments where I think for that character, people didn't feel she was redeemable, right? She had made so many wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. But then in that last Mm -hmm. minute when she's talking to that counselor and you're like, oh, she does have that guilt. She has that feeling. She just... Mm -hmm doesn't know understand why she's doing it and that's part of the problem um yeah yeah but I yeah like that that shows that there is that room for self-reflection maybe and with self-reflection can come growth so yeah and and I feel like that's how I felt too like with the Justin character in your book it was like there were times where Mm -hmm. I'm like come on bro like you need to (laughs) you can do this like don't keep giving up like on this like or don't you know, lose faith. And I think that's such an important, crucial aspect of Rose's character and trying mm-hmm. to keep going um, and their story and Ro- how you kind of need that. Yeah. Rose is kind of my Jiminy Cricket. Like, she's like the conscience. <laughs> it's always like, my dude, let's look at it this way. Um, <laughs> don't give up. Here's how we can do the right thing. And like, Justin is just one of those in... And, you know, and especially with, like, an executive function disorder, like, he has trouble seeing through to the, like, Ed, he just sees what's right in front of him, and he's like, nope, not going to do that. <laughs> and so I even had some, like, when I, early readers would, like, leave me notes in the, in the text, and there were certain things that he would do, and they would be like, she had best not forgive him for that, because that was awful. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, oh, man, he crossed the line. And I'm like, yeah, he did. He did. My, my... <laughs> My friend, he just does not think about things before he says them. And that, that can be really funny, but that can also be, like, really harmful. Yeah. After researching a little bit, you're speaking from someone who watches all the prediction videos for Looper, all the post-Looper videos for movies. I was like, I was like mm-hmm. I'm going to have a thousand questions. And I also was on your Avenging Force website. I liked mm-hmm. what you thought would have been great um, <laughs> ending credits. 
Uh, but I guess I just want to know, how do you uh, think phase five is going days. so far? <laughs> uh, I think, I think they're, I think they're a little bit in the, the muddy middle. Cause I feel like we're, we're, we just wrapped up a big arc and you know, the, if you want to talk to me about my MCU thoughts, it's a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> I think I think the MCU is functioning like comic books, where we've got the shows that are the individual character runs. You, we used to have the movies that were individual character runs, but now it's mostly the shows, and the movies are the events, and then the event. Yeah. But it's like you've got your crossovers, and then you've got your big events, right? And so we just came off of a big event, and now we're trying to build up to something new. Um, but you've still got all these really established characters, so I think. Phase five is a little bit of a lull before we start really building to something big again, because you've got to get those pieces in place. But because we're so used to now, you know, I mean, they spent 10 years building the first one. And it's like, I don't know that we're going to give you another 10 years to build to the next one now that we're used to this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think I think it's getting a little a little bogged down. Um, I'm hoping that as we ramp up, like. I'm so certain they haven't announced yet. I'm so certain we're building to a Young Avengers. Like we've introduced like six of them by now. Surely they're going to announce a Young Avengers movie. Yes. But it hasn't happened yet. And so I'm like, I feel like that's something we're building towards is we need this team. But right now we've just got a bunch of individual components kind of sprinkled around. Um, I think we've got a little, it's a little wonky in terms of what different directors are doing with their individual stories. So anyway, I think, I think it's a little messy right now. But I think. Look, we don't have to go through the last Thor movie. I know where you're coming from. (laughs) Well, and I mean, like, I just saw Quantum Mania. And so, and that was kind of the thing where I was like, okay, this is doing, trying to do a lot of mythology stuff. And I think we kind of forgot about Um, (laughs) Ant-Man. Remember how the first Ant-Man was a heist and this one was like, what if Ant-Man was a Star War? And like, this is (laughs) very different. and so, um, yeah, so I think I think it's getting a little scattered, but I'm hoping that it's just because they're trying to lay all these building blocks to do a bigger, more cohesive thing. It's my hope, because I really do love the MCU so much. Also, I saw you posted your first TikTok, so I want to say welcome. Oh, thanks. I'm trying my best. I'm <laughs> Have so you gotten overwhelmed. Have the rabbit hole yet? I mean, a little bit, and I resisted it for so long because, like, the whole the like sensor it's like sensory overload and i like am prone to kind of like sensory induced anxiety and so for the longest time i was like i'm never getting on that app because it's just like being yelled at like constantly (laughs) in different voices that switch every 30 seconds and like that's my nightmare but (laughs) and eventually i was like i have to get on this app because like this is like where it's going i can't just keep resisting the pivot to video because like that's where the readers are going to be, and so, yeah. and then once I got on, I was like, "This is the perfectionist. This is where I'm like, Rose is very me. I'm like, I'm not going to do it and suck at it. Like, if I'm yeah. going to do it, I want to do it. Like, I don't purport to ever try to be like an influencer and get millions of followers. Like, please no. Sure. But I just don't want to suck at it. So I'm like, well, I need to like figure out how to make these videos and do it, do it somewhat well, so that I don't. I'm not disappointed in myself. So (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Well, and I'm wondering too, I mean, we were talking about all these different movies and pop culture. I can see this book being turned into like a short series or like a movie and things like that. Like, could you picture that? Would you be interested in something like that if it would be transformed to film or television? Oh, I would. 
I would love, I would love a limited series. I think it's right. too much for a movie. I think we would have to cut out way too much in order to fit it into a two hour runtime. So I actually would not like it to be a movie, but I think it, I, I would love it to be a limited series. Um, my heart is kind of in limited series right now. Like that's what I've been yeah. most enjoying as a visual medium. Um, I love things that have a, like a really definitive, like beginning, middle and end, but yeah. played out over the course of 10 episodes. Um, so I saw your yeah, severance rant. Right. I would be over the moon. I saw your oh uh, severance gosh, rant. <laughs> so I was like limited series. I was like, I saw your yes. severance rant. So that was really good. <laughs> I mean, although although Severance, you know, will have a season two, and which is good because I really, really have a lot of questions about that series. But like, <laughs> um, I'm currently like, my favorite things like right now are like the Mike Flanagan series on Netflix. Like Midnight mm. Mass was just like blew my mind, and Haunting of Fly Manor, Haunting of Hill House, and Midnight Midnight Club. Like all of those, like these one season stories that I'm like, oh, I love this so much. It's speaking to me on a soul level. <laughs> Well, and I can just picture it. I can see, like, you know, having, like, each character have their moment and then kind of finding out eventually how they intertwine and, like, you know, seeing the different decades. Like, I can just mm -hmm. imagine it as a short series, definitely. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what was in my head as I was writing it. Like, I watched, um, like, numerous sort of, like, more mystery-based series. Um, and, like, I watched, um, like, Mare of Town, and I watched... Um, uh, uh, why are all of them falling out of my head now? Like Big Little Lies. Yeah. And um, yeah, and like all of those like kind of one season ensemble cast um, shows and that kind of helped me see like how do you do an ensemble, like how do you switch perspectives and lay clues and all of that, which is really funny because it still didn't occur to me that I was writing a mystery until like <laughs> my marketing team told me it was a mystery. And I was like, oh, is it? But I was like, oh, I guess I did just watch a whole bunch of mysteries to <laughs> research it. So that does make sense. <laughs> do you have hopes to write more kind of mystery novels in the future? Or do you have different genres that you would like to kind of dive into? I mean, I love speculative fiction of all sorts so like yeah there's always going to probably be a dash of the speculative of something outside of our world in my stories but i mean i think in a way like all stories are mysteries like all stories are built on like series of like tension and reveals and twists and even like even if it's like you know a rom-com or something you still have that sort of mystery framework in it it's just it's a lot more explicit in some genres of storytelling though so i think i do really enjoy that mystery element of having something that we're trying to uncover and like laying clues and having twists and putting them in an un in, in unexpected ways i like the whole idea of building towards something that's surprising yet inevitable um where you couldn't pre necessarily predict it except all the clues were there and so when you look back you're like oh of course, this is where we were going. I just didn't see it at the time. And I, so, I mean, that's always going to be my goal, probably, in my stories, even, like, across genres. And I will write, like, I, all my books that I've tried to sell have been in a different genre. So, <laughs> um, but they've all been a little bit, like, my agent's like, she's like, but it's all still very you. Like, it's all these, like, big question books with a speculative twist and ensemble casts and, you know, that, and so that have a lot of tension and a lot of 
yeah, a, a lot of surprises, hopefully. Hopefully, if I, like, execute <laughs> well. Definitely. You definitely did. And I, they make you think and they make you kind of ponder about, you know, the what ifs a little bit. And I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, do you have a current book you're reading or any recommendations? Um, right now I am, I'm, I'm reading a few different books right now. Cause I always have something on audio I'm um, and something, right now. <laughs> something physical. So right now on audio, I'm finishing up Hench, um, which is a superhero book, but really super villain book. Um, cause I, you know, I love superheroes, um, which mm -hmm. is fascinating. Um, that's what I'm listening to on audio. And I'm actually reading The Vibrant Years um, in physical <laughs> form. Well, in ebook form. Um, but, um, and so very different, but really enjoying both quite a lot. Um, I recently um, finished uh, reading Chuck Wendig's uh, duology of Wanderers and Wayward, and those just blew me away. That's, you know, post apocalyptic pandemic ai like all the things oh, wow. where i was like how does it feel to predict the future um yeah. <laughs> and he was like weird <laughs> he's like yeah. i did not think that that was going to be a thing but um but i i i adored both of those books i thought they were so smart and so insightful um and they hit on like every level of what i appreciate in um in a story you know i mean it, it's like they, it's kind of like the stand but if the stand was much more updated for now um and with you know with the ensemble cast and the speculative element but the like the big questions about humanity and the close human relationships like i don't know the last time previously that i actually cried while reading a book but i cried at a scene in wayward for a character death and i like i messaged him because we follow each other on twitter and i messaged him and i was like so-and-so just died and I am a mess. And I don't know who read this book, so I'm just <laughs> messaging you, the author, because you know what you did. <laughs> like, if it makes it you feel any better, I cried writing that scene. And I was like, you better have, because how yeah. dare you? <laughs> like, it was so good, but, oh, it destroyed me. It destroyed me in my heart. Oh my goodness. Uh, but I guess if you can just tell us more about your amazing sweepstakes you have going right now for your yeah. book pre-order. Oh my gosh. I. I don't know why I conceived of the most complicated pre-order campaign that anyone's ever. Heard I, I of. love, I love but... the map. I love the map. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that's like, like my, 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 one of my um, friends messaged me and she was like, of course you made a flow chart. She's like, yeah. of course. you would ha be the one that made a flow chart. And I was like, I, yeah, like I'm on brand, I, I guess. Um, so in my head, it wasn't that complicated. And then I tried to explain it to people and they were like, I'm sorry, what? You're, I need to do a what? Um, so basically, it's, I wanted to give everyone who pre-ordered the book a little something, but I wanted to especially incentivize people to order from my two local indies that are offering signed copies of the book. So it's everyone, and both of my children, they're both in high school, and they're both amazing artists, and they both do commissions anyway. Um, they don't really have um, their, like, social media for their commissions up and running right now, so... Once okay. they do, I will tag them, but you know, they're just kind of, they're not quite there yet. So I would love to credit the artists once the artists finish making their social media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I 
nudge the artists regularly. Um, <laughs> but so everyone who pre-orders the book and fills out, there's a form on my website. It's a very simple Google form um, that basically just tells me where to mail your stuff and like proof of purchase, right? Um, oh, and I'm also doing it for library purchase requests. So if you don't want to spend money, but you want to request it from your local library, I will also send things. So everyone who pre-orders or um, does a purchase request for their local library and uploads proof um, gets a custom art print that's of Justin and Rose meeting for the very first time in the book, um, along with an All Stop the World bookmark. Um, and that's absolutely everyone, no matter where you ordered from or if it's the library. In addition, as an incentive to pre-order a signed copy from one of my two local indies, each one of them has their own store exclusive art print. So if you order from Parnassus Books, you get a print of Sean and Noah. And if you order from the bookshop, you get a print of Lisa and Charlene. And those are all, you know, characters from all stuff the world. And they're all depicting scenes that are in the book. Um, and so if you get all three, it, like if you ordered one from Parnassus and one from the bookshop, you get all three prints. If you order from Parnassus, you'll get um, Sean and Noah and the Justin and Rose. And if you order from the bookshop, you'll get um, Lisa and Charlene and Justin and Rose. Um, and then just to make it more complicated, um, I... I'm throwing in, if you are an educator or a librarian, um, you get, I'll send you everything. Just let me know that that's who you are because what little I can do to appreciate teachers and librarians right now, I will do. Um, I and also absolutely everyone who fills out the pre-order form gets entered to win a grand prize on top of their pre-order incentive. And the grand prizes, I will send all three art prints. Um, I'm doing an annotated arc of I'll Stop the World, which means I'm writing in all my random thoughts and like Easter eggs. And I took this mm. as a friend's name and this is a reference to this other book and whatever. It's all going into this annotated arc in the best handwriting I can do, which is not great. <laughs> um, and then also my friend um, who's started her own jewelry business has made a set of custom I'll Stop the World jewelry um, inspired by the book cover. Um, very fun 80s colors um that's yeah. also she tried she was like it's 80s but i wanted it to be something you'd actually wear that does not look ridiculous so yeah. um so yeah it's a very lovely set of jewelry all three art prints annotated arc bookmark whole nine yards um so but that is apparently confusing so the tldr of that is if you pre-ordered the book or you ordered it or you asked for your library to purchase it go to my website fill out a form it's all like yes or no did you order from here did you order from here like yes or no and i will send you the things you earned awesome. it'll just be a grand surprise <laughs> <laughs> no we just wanted to make sure we highlighted that because you know we want to make sure anyone who's listening gets the opportunity to pre-order a book because we want to make sure yeah. everyone reads it <laughs> because it's so great absolutely absolutely um and can we ask you one last question we don't want to take up too much more of, of your time um but did your um daughters read the book uh one of them did the other one is waiting for the audio um okay. So the, my oldest read it and um, it was so sweet. She loved it. And she, she has ADHD and she was like, is Justin based on me? Okay. And I was like, no, he's not based on me. <laughs> he is inspired in a lot of ways. By, like he's informed by you. But I was like, no, 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 no. Cause she's like, cause she's like, oh, I love him so much. But in this, I was like, dude, I wouldn't even do that. I was like, yeah, no, yeah he's not, he's not you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but she, she read it and she said some very, very wonderful things to say, which is so encouraging as a parent, because, you know, um, it's, it's never a given that your kids are going to like the art you're making. 
Um, and then my youngest has said, um, yeah, one, as soon as the audio comes out, which I don't, I mean, I too can't wait for the audio to come out. So yeah. no, <laughs> I just nine narrators. Let you, because I, oh, that's awesome. Um, I just oh. imagine, um, because it's really about teens and the teen experience and mm -hmm. everyone's experience, I imagine it probably was very informative and helpful too to read it oh and there were plenty of times of me yelling out like hey do you know what this is yeah like, <laughs> if i said this word do you know what that is and there were definitely i was forbidden to put any gen z slang in the yeah. <laughs> they were like mom don't you yeah, know they were, well i was like well would they say they were like no you will do it wrong i was yeah. like but but i think i know what it no mom don't do it don't do it and i think it's the better for it i think like they're like, it sounds like you're trying too hard. Any adult using Gen Z, it just sounds like you're trying too hard. It sounds stupid. Don't do it. So I was like, okay, I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so very much for taking the time to speak with us. We are so incredibly thankful and um, hope you enjoyed getting to chat with us too. And we Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. And we'll let you know as soon as we um, post it. We're hoping to post it in the next few weeks to get people excited to read your book. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for reading. That's that means a lot to me. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you. Have a great day. Bye. -bye. You too. All right, bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview just as much as we did. Yeah, no, it was a great interview. I had a great time asking her about her vulture days and actually uh, finding a little bit more about Hobbs and Shaw. And I hope you are as excited to read it as we were, because let me tell you, the twist at the end, Ooh. I, we got to talk about it. So once you read it, make sure you comment below so that we can know what y'all thought about it. Yeah, no, we can't wait to see you guys next time. And do, 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 do.